0: Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability.
1: We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, Sustainable Simplicity Close to Home available in our online marketplace. In the book, we've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process.
0: For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code The Good Dirt in our online marketplace. So use the code The Good Dirt, T H E G O O D D I R T, at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer Online Marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody.
2: I spent the time to write the book because I wanted other people to know what I didn't know about how easy it is to feel empowered to do something about that eco-anxiety that we feel. It's so accessible. Don't have to quit your job. Don't have to become a climate activist. But there are all these unexpected, wonderful things that come with adopting this kind of lifestyle.
0: We want to put the microphone in front of the voices
1: that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers.
0: So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, Good Dirt listeners. Good morning, or good afternoon, or whatever time of day you're listening to this. You can listen to it any time of the day. That's the great thing about a podcast. Yeah. You can just download it any old time you want. And as many times as you want. As many times. (laughs) Even if you wanted to. The cool thing is if you want to listen to The Good Dirt 100 times, you can. And you should. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... That's the thing. Uh, We're getting so close to 100 episodes, speaking of, which is exciting. And we have already passed 100,000 downloads, which is exciting. So we're looking forward to our next 100,000. And we're just so happy about all of the good dirt spread all around. As you might know, if you are a regular listener, or if you are paying attention during our intro, I'm Emma. Yes. And I'm Mary, the mom. And Uh, Usually we record remotely, but today we're sitting together in the same room, which is lovely. Having some really delicious Earl Grey tea from uh, Wild Roots Apothecary, based in Sperryville, Virginia. And you can order her tea Colleen. She's a wonderful herbalist. You can get her tea online. Yeah. It was shipped and packed to me lovingly with care, with all zero-waste packaging. And it is delicious. Yeah, it's Earl Grey, but it has some, like vanilla notes creamy Mm, real good so good so we've had a new idea here Mm -hmm. at the good dirt radio (laughs) that we want (laughs) to start out uh these little intros with a little share and tell from our week and mine actually has to do with this tea my share and tell and i also need to credit my friend v for this shout out to v i know she listens to all of these so for those of you who are tea drinkers There's several ways you can drink tea, as you know. You can use tea bags, you can use loose tea, and then with the loose tea comes lots of different ways to brew the loose tea. I have always just gone with tea bags because they're easier, although I know they produce a lot of trash. That doesn't make me happy, but I have been doing that. But since V told me about A percolator which is usually used for coffee y'all might know what that is it's like you put the grounds in the top and then the water heats and it flows through it guess what you can do that for a tea too and you can use either a stovetop percolator or I got a really cute electric one it's copper it was really inexpensive I think it was like 20 maybe 30 dollars and you just put the loose tea in the top fill it with water And it only takes five to ten minutes or so. And then it keeps it warm. If anything, maybe, I made this batch maybe a little strong. I don't know. What do you think? No, it's perfect. And I love the fact that you get a whole pot that stays warm. Yeah. Doesn't cool off. It's
1: really, what a great tip. What a great share and tell. I love that.
0: Percolator for your loose tea, everyone. Yes. That way you can get loose tea and you don't have to buy all the extra packaging that comes with tea bags. And you can get your herbs in. What a great idea. Thanks, V. Thank you, V. (laughs) I'm going to do it at my house as well. Yeah. Do you have a percolator? I think you have one somewhere. Yeah. I'll have to dig it out. Yeah. I'm so excited about this. Well, you're welcome. Mom, what's your share and tell for the week? Well,
1: let's see. I went to the dentist this morning and all is well. And as I was leaving, they handed me the plastic bag full of the plastic toothbrush and sample plastic toothpaste tube and the floss floss and Mm -hmm. the whole rigmarole. And I said, thank you very much, but I'm not going to take this. Mm -hmm. The plastic toothbrush really is something that, that really makes no sense in today's day and age. There are other options. Anyway, at the risk of my seeming annoying to someone like that, um, I'll take that little risk. I hope listeners, if you know me, you'll forgive me, but I feel like sometimes just giving people a little jog like that makes them think about something they weren't thinking about before. And maybe it's useful
0: or maybe it's just obnoxious. I don't know, but I did that. You did that. Well, I think the (laughs) takeaway here is you can just say, you know what? Thanks. I'm all good. I already have a toothbrush. That's like the easiest way to avoid you taking that in. If everyone did that, They might be like, whoa, no one's accepting these toothbrushes. We don't need these anymore. The other thing is, if anyone's listening who works at a dental office or anything, maybe we can inspire you. Bamboo toothbrushes are not that hard to find. Also, it's just one of those things. I used to work in a doctor's office. It wasn't a dental office, but I don't know all of the inner workings, but I imagine that there's some sort of deal with... Crest or these big companies that like send free things to these offices because it's great marketing for them. Yes. You know, they want you to have the sample in your hand so that you go to like buy the refill of that toothpaste at the drugstore. So it's all, you know, this bigger system. And that's a really easy way that like, you're right. If we aren't tuned into it, we kind of just take it and we take it home and then we have this plastic stuff. And we think it's like a free thing. Yeah. And we're kind of conditioned to think, oh goody,
1: I don't have to buy a new toothbrush now. Instead of thinking, I choose not to use a plastic toothbrush, I choose to look for something more sustainable.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, you can use your, like, higher quality electric one or whatever that you that lasts a lot longer. That was a good share and tell, Mom. Toothbrushes and the right to refusal. So we also want to do another new thing this week, which is to share some shout-outs that we've gotten from our listeners. So if you participated in the Slow Living Challenge back in February we sent out a little survey at the end of it to get some feedback on how that was and how you enjoyed it and at the end of the little survey there's a chance to fill in some shout outs now the survey was anonymous so i'm not sure who's shouting these out but i do have these shout outs so we have a shout out to ako castuera i hope i said that correctly Ako. Castuera, who is doing some very interesting work exploring the intersections of regenerative soil, ceramics, and place, sounds like someone we need to interview on this podcast. Yes, if you're out there, you're listening, or if your wonderful friend who submitted this shout out is listening, tell them to email us thegooddirtpodcast@gmail.com. This other shout out is a little bit of a late birthday shout out, but all of the birthday love. So here we are, happy 62nd birthday. So this person wants to shout out Marae Campbell. Marae, I hope that your vision of wearing overalls as you prepare your fields with children running around you will come to light soon. I love that. Yes, that's beautiful. I can see it. I can see it too. Near Lady Farmer overalls.
1: And here's a shout out to all the Canadian Good Dirt listeners. Yes, we love you guys.
0: Yeah, I know we have. I know there's plenty of you. Yes.
1: And also a shout out to this listener's Border Collie, Zydeco, for being the best garden companion.
0: Oh, Zydeco. That's the best name. We have our
1: own little part Border Collie that's a wonderful garden companion as well. She likes to dig holes. Really helpful.
0: Zydeco is such a cute dog name. Yes. Shout out to Zineco. So an announcement coming up. Our Wild Farming Life gathering. We will have Lynn Cassells from Our Wild Farming Life, which is a book that you can purchase in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. It is also a Good Dirt episode that you can listen to. So Lynn Cassells, alongside her partner Sandra Bear, owners of Lynnbrecht Croft, had a shared dream of living closer to the land. And while the pair never meant to be farmers, they found themselves called to the task of stewarding a 150 acre croft in the Highlands of Scotland in 2016. The entire story is beautiful from how they got the farm to how they helped bring the farm back to life to what they're up to now. And Lynn and Sandra are just wonderful people. Lynn is so fun to talk to. We had her on the podcast, episode 77, The Wild Farming Life. And we are having her back for a Zoom gathering. She'll be here live with us. If you purchased the book from our store or if you're an Almanac member, you have free admission. If you would like to come listen to Lynn talk, you can pay $10 or you can buy the book. And A admission to the event is included. So we would love to have you Sunday, May 15th, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes, and
1: uh, we'll email you a discount code. Just go to ladyfarmer.com slash wildfarminglife, and you'll get everything you need. Also, an announcement about our Almanac membership. We now have a new level, the Good Dirt Almanac membership. We've lowered the price for this basic membership, doesn't include everything that the premium does, but it does make it easier for you to support this show and to connect with other Good Dirt listeners. Along with that, we'll be updating the premium membership soon, and with that will come a price update. So if you've been thinking about joining the Almanac for our premium membership, now is a really good time to do it. And don't worry, everybody out there who's a current member, you will be locked into the current pricing as well, and you will have that pricing for life. So if you're interested in looking over these options, go to ladyfarmer.com slash thegooddirt.
0: Yes, and that is a true deal, you guys, if you join the premium membership now. Yeah. We're really excited about what we have in store to really update our premium membership. We've been talking about it today, actually, about the kind of things that we'll be folding into it and just adding a little bit more community engagement and time with us and some focused, like, real, tangible things that we can be doing together as a community to slow down and become more sustainable. Love it over there. Love it in the Almanac. Come see us. So, on to today's episode... Yes, we have Stephanie Miller. Stephanie is the former director of climate business at the World Bank Group and the author of Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way, The Busy Person's Guide to a Lighter Footprint. She is passionate about helping busy people understand the profound difference they can make on the climate and waste crises through their individual actions. She founded Zero Waste in D.C., where she reaches a wide audience through keynote presentations and learning events. This is such a great episode for anyone out there who
1: is interested in doing even the smallest thing, taking the smallest steps towards a more sustainable life, a more slow life, a life that's more gentle on the earth and the environment. It's such a great place to start, and it's such a great way to get past this feeling of, well, I can't do it all, it's too hard, it's too complicated, Stephanie talks us through how, yes, you can, by one step at a time, you can make a difference, and you can make a difference in
0: your life and for the entire planet. So, I also love how we found Stephanie. We were actually at a friend's house in our neighborhood, and we spied this book on the shelf. Yeah. And we said, Oh, Zero Waste in DC, we should know that person. So then they connected us. It was a fun way to find this one. Yeah, and now we do know her, and really
1: interested in her program and learned a lot from stephanie and i think it's a really great discussion and as always it leads us in even more and more conversation and discussion on these complex topics but we just love talking about all this stuff on the good dirt and so we welcome you today to our episode with stephanie miller
2: I have always been interested in conservation from as long as I can remember. I used to take neighborhood walks with my grandmother and she would be picking up trash along the way. And then we stayed with her a lot and she'd create these soaps, you know, from leftover soap. And anyway, I sort of felt like I had it in me always, this conservation bent. But then I started my professional career. I actually worked on conservation at the Fish and Wildlife Service many years ago, got to meet Tom Lovejoy, the inventor of biological diversity of the term who we just lost on Christmas Day. One thing led to another and I, I moved into the field of international development. I worked for the private sector part of the World Bank for 25 years and realized I was kind of reaching the peak of my career, my dream job was when I was asked to lead the climate change agenda for the organization. And so that was terrific. I got to influence governments and private sector on how to be more sustainable. But I had this gnawing feeling all the time that here I'd gotten really busy in my work life, and I wasn't doing enough in my personal life to be true to my values. I wasn't living life as sustainably as I knew I could, and I felt quite paralyzed by all the things I knew I should be doing and all the things I wasn't doing. For example, I was traveling all the time in my job. The narrative in my head was a little bit of, well, if I can't do anything to curtail probably the most carbon-intensive activity that I'm doing, because I didn't feel I had much choice in that matter, then what would the little things in life really, how much would those really matter? So that was the struggle I had. I loved my job, but I didn't love that tension and contradiction that I felt in my own life. And then after 25 years in the same organization, I decided I'd pursue a, a different career, but first I wanted to hit the pause button. My son was going off to college the following year and I had such an intense work life. So I took some time off. I actually gave myself a gap year and finally had time on my hands. This was three years ago and thought, well, I have no excuse now. Now I could really figure out what are the things I could do in my life to reduce my carbon and waste footprints. And I did a lot of research, visited all the recycling facilities that were open to the public, talked to plastics experts, talked to food waste experts, read a lot, and realized actually that. Even though I had all this time on my hands, I could have been doing the most impactful, easy things back when I was a really busy in my career. So, long story short, is when I realized what those things were that I could have been doing, I put some pen to paper and wrote this short book, Zero Waste Living: The Eighty Twenty Way, so that I could tell other people who felt they were too busy to be doing the right things what they might do. So that's kind of how I got to
1: zero waste from a corporate climate change career. Okay. So did you name your company or is it a company or you wrote this book or I noticed you call yourself Zero Waste in DC. Did you establish a some sort of identity around that or is it through the book?
2: Well, it's a great question because on the last few weeks, I've been thinking I should be renaming it. When i decided to be Zero Waste in DC, uh, and that's the name of my company, it was because I do learning events and consulting. It was because I felt what I knew best was about regional resources, ways Mm -hmm. to access the opportunities for reducing waste in the DC region, the DC, Virginia, Maryland region. But the funny thing is that when I was asked to write the book a year and a half ago, right after writing the book, I started speaking across the country, across the continent, across the globe. And I realized very quickly that actually a lot of what there is to say on this subject is universal. Not all of it. I mean, there are local recycling rules, local resources, obviously, to buy in bulk. But a lot of the messaging that I was trying to give, which was around how do you empower the individual to feel like they have a Pretty big role to play in solving these twin crises of the, the carbon and waste crises we're in. That's not mostly local. So I'm actually considering changing the name. I haven't come up with a better one yet. Mm-hmm. But for zero waste in DC, and that's where I'm located. That's what I know the most about, but it, the message I think is goes beyond the borders of DC.
0: Yeah, of course. I think that there's like really two levels. Like there's that first level, that sort of universal messaging that you are talking about and you have been doing well. You sort of came at it backwards because a lot of people come at the top and they say, okay, I get it now. I know I need to compost. You know, I know that like not all recycling is created equal. I need to get to the bottom of this, but all those require like a primary education and like a primary, you know, knowledge about those things, which you do really well, but also what you've done, like I was saying backwards, you've kind of gone and solved that problem for us in this area, which I, yay us, that's so lucky for us, but I think that that's also something that people universally need, and so I'm sure there's these pockets of concentrated knowledge and resources all throughout, but wouldn't it be cool if there was some sort of universal, you know, website or something where you could literally aggregate it in one place? Maybe there's something like that in the future, I don't know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we should talk about doing that. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. there. You know, I think what
0: I've found in my
2: career, and especially in the dozen or so years I was working on climate change at the private sector part of the World Bank, is that climate change is a complex issue. And I think that's where we get stuck a lot of times, is we get lost in the complexity. I think for many years, the climate scientists weren't talking a language that most people could relate to. And climate touches every single sector, right? It's not a simple, it's not just the food sector. It's not just the plastic sector. It's not just the transport sector. And so I think we can get lost in all of the complexity that gets thrown at us uh, when people start talking about climate change. And I was lost in it too. And one of the things which I know you two know really well, one of my biggest eye-opening moments was here I had been working on climate change all these years and I had no idea how significant food waste in landfills was as a contributor to the problem. I confess I knew about all the industries that I was trying to reform, the cement industry, the steel industry, the transport industry, but I was not focused on the problem of the methane that is produced when food ends up in the landfill instead of in a process, uh, which you know about very well, when it's composted, for example, and can be completely eliminate methane emissions. So I didn't know that eight to 10% of uh, emissions, greenhouse gas emissions come from food waste in landfill. So that was a gaping problem, yeah, a gap for me. And then I realized also through my research that the individual, at least in this country and in most developed countries, is the biggest part of that food waste problem. Wow. Well, so that's, you can connect the dots really quickly and realize that if we can get at the food waste problem at the individual level, we don't have to quit flying or if we don't have a choice, Mm -hmm. um, we can continue to fly if we must, but we have things we can do at home to Mm -hmm. really put a dent in the problem. So that was really exciting for me to see what the opportunities were at the individual level. That's just one of them, obviously.
1: Yeah, that's such a big thing. And I've said this a lot on here, but I think it bears repeating because not everybody hears every episode, but I know there was a time when I thought that food thrown in the trash would decompose oh it'll decompose because it's organic or whatever and then uh aha I learned that doesn't happen because you don't have the right ventilation in a landfill so those things can stay preserved for many many years and build up methane gas, as you've just been saying. So throwing our extra food in the trash can is the problem.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. it, and
1: like you say, individuals, you know, the cumulative effect of all of us doing that thinking, oh, well, it's going to decompose. It's not. So yes. <laughs> now, you know, everybody. Yes.
2: And, and once you know, and then you figure out what you can do about it, that yes. is a real source of satisfaction and I would dare say joy. I mean, that's one of the joyful things in my life is making that trip every few days, bringing the kitchen compost out to the big compost bin in our backyard. And the comments I get most often from my friends and people I don't even know is, Stephanie, I'm composting now. And if they were like me, then, you know, they associated composting with something you two do and something my gardening friends do, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily You know, what the rest of us who are not necessarily planting a lot of things in our gardens every spring that we would want to focus on. And now I love focusing on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it truly is joyful when you know you've been doing it for a while and suddenly you go out there one day and and you have this beautiful black dirt that you can just feel the life in it and you can just feel the vibrancy and the richness of it. It is a joyful thing. And you know, I would venture to say there's there might even be a physiological reason for that because you're being exposed to lots of really great microbes. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but I would think, you know, maybe there's some joyful enhancing bugs <laughs> that are actually in the compost. I don't know. Any of you out there can write in and say, that's nuts, but I kind of believe it. <laughs>
2: I I will think about that the next time I touch this
1: stuff.
0: (laughs) I think you may be on
2: to something.
0: I also think what's interesting about what you just said about the complexity and about the gap that you realize the major gap is, again, a big issue or one of the major issues, I think, with the personal responsibility aspect of this is because of the complexity and because of our gaps in knowledge, when you look at it, it's like, Well, every single little thing you do throughout your day is horrible for the earth. (laughs) And it can be really like discouraging and it can lead to like, I think there's even a word for it. Is it like climate fatigue or something? It can feel so overwhelming like if you really do know everything and so then we get to a point where we're like well we don't even i don't even want to know it's easier not to know and so yeah it's just so important to have resources like yours and to just even just be willing to ask the questions and part of that comes with being okay with not being perfect in a way being okay with the parts of your life that are contributing immensely to climate change while you're working on fixing other things. Like it's just it you have to be okay with it at some point in order to tackle any part of the issue. Absolutely. And
2: I you know the term you said eco fatigue or environmental fatigue. I've also heard eco anxiety, eco depression I heard this week actually. I do think we're seeing more and more evidence on a daily basis of people being touched by climate change. No one Feels like they can escape at this point. And if you get caught in that kind of vortex of the terrible news cycle and a sense of hopelessness, that's a recipe for depression. So I do think empowering people to feel and understand where they can make a difference is so important right now. And it's a little bit why I landed on this second part of the title of the book is 80-20 80/20 way, the zero waste living, the 80/20 mm-hmm. way, because not everybody knows what that term is. I borrowed it from economics, from the business world. Yeah. This idea of not all actions are equal, and if you just focus on the most impactful things, the you know the crux, the 20% most impactful, you can get 80% or so of the results you're looking for. And I wanted to get away from the idea of perfection in my own life because I felt it was getting in the way of doing anything. If I was aiming for perfection, if I was aiming for, you know, the mascot of the zero waste movement is the glass Mason jar. And yeah. <laughs> how, how many of these zero waste gurus who I adore, and I love their books and I love their messaging, yeah. but they show us the man on the moon kind of uh, picture of them holding up a glass Mason jar representing what's inside, representing a year's worth of trash for their family. And I will tell you, I do not get to that amount of trash in a month, in a week, maybe a day on some really good days, but it's really hard. And if that is the measure of success, we're all failing, right? So I think introducing how we can get to that 80%, how we can avoid perfection and just aim for a lot of good, that's my goal is to help people uncover what that 80% looks like in their life. And it may be different for everybody. You know, if you're, living in a community where the water's not safe to drink, then I'm not going to say everybody needs to carry around their reusable uh, water bottle the way I do to avoid, you know, the 250 plus plastic water bottles I was going through every year. If that's not an option where you live, then that's not the right solution for you. So finding the things that do make sense and that you know can be impactful. That's where I come from on it.
1: Yes, that's so well said, so important. And I think the key actually to getting people to listen to these things. And I think that's a great segue into talking about the magic three that you describe in your book. Yeah, so when you realize you don't wanna try to get to 100%, for me,
2: I needed to know, well, what am I focused on? And I boiled it down to three themes that I realized all met two criteria for me. They were all easy areas to implement, and I knew that if I focused on them, they would all yield a lot of impact in terms of my personal carbon and waste footprint. So the three areas are focus on food, purge plastic, and recycle right. So you notice I don't talk about transportation choices. Those are not part of the magic three. Some actions that I lay out in the book in those three areas, I think, do a lot of things. They get us a huge amount of the way there in terms of reducing our footprint, and they also are easy enough and imitatable enough, if you will, reproducible enough by others that we can, in doing those behaviors, feel pretty confident that when they're observed by others, either in our family, in our community, in our social media, we are creating differences by setting social norms for other people to adopt behaviors. So actually, so let me just quickly go through them. Focus on food for me. As I said, my big eye-opening moments were around food. I am not a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan. I admit it. I think I've seen figures about 5% of the population are vegetarian. I would love to get there, but I'm not there. I'm not going to be there this week with my son visiting from college, but I have big goals to have a more plant-based diet. And if we get away from perfect is the enemy of the good, getting to a more plant-based diet is really, I think, important. But the other major piece of the focus on food is this aha moment for me, which was how important food waste is. So we talked about composting, and we know that at the end of the food life, when we're done with whatever is retrievable, let's make sure it doesn't get into the landfill, let's compost what's compostable. But even before we get to that end stage, just avoiding the food waste altogether, I think is where we just could do so much more. And I have about a half dozen tips or so I give on how to attack food waste in your daily life. But that's really key. The second one, purge plastic, is not one thing. It's the things in our life that we spend a moment thinking about and realize we're single-use plastics here I'm talking about that we bring into our lives every week or maybe even every day. For me, as I said, it was that plastic water bottle. And when you pick one thing, that's what I always suggest to focus on, on plastics, and you decide you're going to find a substitute packaging. And we can talk about all the evils of plastic But when you realize how bad it is for health, both people who live in the vicinity of the places where plastic is made, as well as those of us who are ingesting a credit card's worth of plastic every week through the drinks and food we consume, and you see the obvious ecosystems issues, and now we understand it's a very big climate change issue and a growing climate change issue, then you want to do something about it and, again, You don't want to feel paralyzed. So my advice is always pick one thing, make a commitment around the thing that you're introducing into your life, obvious ones, find that hack, find the substitute for it and make a commitment around it. Once you do, I truly believe it becomes a gateway to consciousness about all the other plastic that we're bringing into our lives and then you start to chip away at the problem. At least that's what I did and it made a big dent to the problem of my bringing in uh, single-use plastic into the house and the rest of the family as well. And the last of the magic three around recycle white right is about making sure that what does end up in the recycle bin is actually recyclable That is a local issue because there are local rules associated with recycling, so really easy to find out what those are. For the 50 or so percent of us in this country that have access to residential recycling, because not everyone does, those recycling, the municipalities want us to know those rules really well, and so they make it really easy for us. They put posters, easy-to-read material online. But it's really important because if we recycle right, We're saving all the resources that went into making that packaging. And when you're talking about something like a can, you're saving 95% of energy if you recycle a can versus have to make that can from virgin resources. And that's just around the energy, not to mention the water and everything else. And same goes for paper, same goes for glass, same goes for plastic even. So getting it right is super important because of the resources we can save, and because we don't wanna produce contamination in the process which can undo all the potential for that recycle truck or the recycle bin if you put some things in it that make the whole rest of the batch unrecyclable. And that happens every day, all the time in each one of these facilities. So those are the three areas Focus on food, purge plastics, recycle, right. You don't have to quit your job to do the things under each of those themes that can really make a difference. And then if you start doing these things and you get the bug for it and you create a bit of messaging through your example, just your example, as well as some of the words you use, positive words, not blaming words you can create a real difference in the circles in your life. I've seen that for myself. I've had other people tell me about it. And it feels profound when you realize you're not guilting anyone, but you're you know nudging them into a certain direction. It's a nice feeling and the impact then goes beyond you.
1: Yes. Oh there's so much to talk about in all three of those <laughs> areas. A couple of things I want to touch on going all the way back to the food. Yes. It's so true when you hear that the plant-based diets are more beneficial for the environment in regards to the meat consumption being from the conventional meat industry. In terms of the CAFOs, the confined animal feeding operations, the drugs and the chemicals that are involved in producing meat on a humongous scale- But something kind of newer and something that's come along in recent years that I don't think that many people are aware of and we want to spread the word is that there's a whole growing industry of sustainable meat production and where it involves small farmers. Raising animals that are in their natural environment, they're given no growth hormones or drugs, or their feed is not doused in pesticides, and they're allowed to have their natural animal behaviors. And they have very humane practices all the way from, you know, raising the animals to processing them for meat. And they are now many operations that have exhibited actual climate change mitigation through the carbon sequestration yeah. in their farming and grazing practices. You said only 5% of the population is vegetarian. Well, the other 95% of us need to know that there's a very, very good alternative to the conventional meat industry. So how much have you read about that or you know, any experience with that yourself? Yeah, I have also read about
2: it and it's very encouraging. And I think yes. Most of us know that meat is a carbon-intensive product, but it's not just the cow's digestive process that's Mm -hmm. the problem, it's also the soil practices. And because whether soil is properly tilled, responsibly tilled, produces more or less methane and nitrous oxide, both powerful greenhouse gas emissions, And these practices, which, as you say, are not new, are growing. And a scale is, of course, on any of these new initiatives to address climate change, scale is always going to be brought up as an issue. Can we ever get to the scale that's needed? And, you know, scale is like anything, like the Tesla, you know, scale is a question of how much tension there is to the underlying issues associated with current practices and what support is government willing to do as consumers? What signals are we sending through our purchasing power to the private sector to let them know what we want to see? You can look out for small businesses at farmers markets and elsewhere that are saying that they are using regenerative agricultural methods. So it's like anything else. If you go to Whole Foods because you want you know, that branded organic we should start looking for branded restorative agricultural practices as well. That's how things scale, that they scale because we recognize the importance of this new or evolving practice and enough of the constellation of players around it realize they need to invest in this other way of doing business, whether that's through government regulation, through the right kind of subsidies, through Private sector recognizing their customers want to see something else. And that's yeah. true for just about anything we could talk about in the zero waste movement. You know, it, for me, it's a three legged stool it's the government, it's private sector, but it's also the individual. And I think it's very easy to say most impact has to come from those first two government and private sector, and our individual choices are negligible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit too easy. Again, not because we're lazy, but because We either don't have enough information or there is this paralysis. Uh, We have to recognize the power that we have as individuals, especially when enough of us come together around the same kind of choices. Yeah, I did
0: want to add another thought to the plant-based eating. Yes, plant-based is the best way to eat plant like real plants i think that this is one area where a lot of us are greenwashed especially and this is where it's so important to keep in mind like packaging and the actual substance of what we're eating and purchasing so for example if you are at trader joe's or something and you're buying like a plant-based kind of fake food that has a ton of ingredients in it and is wrapped in plastic many many times that is actually not a better choice then, if you're buying a grass-fed piece of meat that was responsibly managed and, yes. and is sequestering carbon, that's gonna be much better for the environment than the plant-based mock meat thing. So I think that's also with the plant-based diet, there's so many things that are misleading about it, particularly because in the same way that responsible grazing is so beneficial and can in fact, in many ways, reverse, it can pull carbon down from the atmosphere. Yeah, There's a lot of monoculture and the opposite kind of agricultural practices that go into soy products and all of these things that we use to make up our plant-based products that are actually so, so harmful for the planet. Again, so confusing. And I believe that it all comes down to like packaging. And if you're buying a package of something, well, make sure you read it. You really know what it is and maybe think about, is it worth even beyond the cellophane and whatever it's wrapped in. If you're trying to buy plant-based, eat plants. I guess yes. <laughs> like that. Yeah. And like shopping at the farmers market is like a guaranteed way to do that. You're not going to find a lot of like weird packaged plant-based. I'm using air quotes, things at the farmers market, it's like real foods. And I think that's kind of where it can get tricky and where labels and greenwashing really feeds in. Like, is this thing that has a leaf on it with all of these ingredients that says plant-based because it's from soybean? You know, is that real food? No, about- I think you're
2: absolutely right. I'll share a couple things with you. One is that when I was finishing the book, which again, I wrote in five weeks, my publisher said to me, what about the impossible burger? What about Mm -hmm. the substitutes? You've got to do a box on that at least. And I had never eaten the stuff. And I really had no desire to eat the stuff. But my publisher thought it was important. And I think he was right. And so I did, I I got a pizza with a little bit of impossible burger meat on it. And I could testify in the book that it really did taste and feel like, like meat. But (laughs) you know, it's like anything else. I think we're not going to get to the perfect. I'd like to think about a hierarchy of choices. So I have a a graph. It's the only graph I think I put in the book that I created because everything I saw in this was so complex, but there's a world in data has really good complex graphs breaking down what are the most carbon intensive foods. And they give the amount of carbon intensity of each food. Chicken is 10 times less than beef. And Farm raised salmon is half as much again as chicken. And then you get pretty close to lentils at that point. Mm -hmm. So I can make a choice tonight to not have one of my vegetarian meals. You know, Mm -hmm. it can be salmon and that will make a difference. Even when I go to the farmer's market, there is a stand there with organic, responsibly raised chicken, beef, lamb, fill in the blank, and it's all packaged in plastic. Mm -hmm. So What's the hierarchy there? Well, I'm already going to my farmer's market. I'm supporting small business, local business. I feel really good about that. If I'm going to eat meat, I'd rather buy it from them than from, you know, a large grocery store. And if so, I'm not going to score 100% on that purchase because it is going to be wrapped in plastic. And I feel okay about that. If that's my choice that day, there are worse things I could do, right? So again, it's 80-20. I love the evenings when I've made chickpea, rosemary dish that my fiance and my son can get excited about, and it's completely vegetarian. And I soaked the chickpeas. I didn't buy them in cans. and, And I achieved that nirvana meal, that perfect meal that didn't take forever to make and checked all the boxes for me, but I'm not going to be able to do that every night. So it's all a question of choices, I think. No, that's
0: such a good point. The best product for the environment, we can eat a perfect diet, but especially in like food safety, it's like almost impossible to avoid plastic.
1: Well, I don't think the health department lets
0: yeah let you sell meat that's not wrapped in plastic. So Well, unless you're at the grocery store, like she said, and you're kind of like at the butcher counter- you know, you can get it like wrapped in yep. butcher paper, but even then, we don't know like how the meat got there.
2: That's a great point. And the very first time I asked a butcher at the deli counter at Whole mm-hmm. Foods, which I yeah. prefer the farmers market, but when I end up at Whole Foods, the first time I asked, could I have those lamb chops behind the counter that are not wrapped in plastic like the ones in the mm-hmm. refrigerated section? He said to me, "But it comes to yeah. us in plastic. It's already yeah. wrapped in plastic." And I said. That's fine. But then I don't need to add more plastic by the time I bring it home. So less waste is less waste. And so if I have a choice and I don't always have a choice, then I'm going to try to get it less packaged. And again, you don't have to quit your job in the DC area to find really good opportunities. Shop in bulk. To shop for naked produce even in my local Safeway peppers come wrapped in plastic and the peppers come naked as well not wrapped in anything so there are always choices to make and as long as we don't aim for perfection I think we can get a huge way there
1: right and the other thing too being um, even you know your choices within your choices like as Emma was saying a few minutes ago yeah, we might decide we're going to try to eat mostly plants. However, there's choices within that that are huge. You know, you can t- pick anything like soil health. There's so many monocultures for the vegetables, vegetables in great demand that are harming the soil, which is harming the environment. And then the transportation issues, you know, a huge percentage of our produce comes from California. It has to be, again, wrapped in plastic across the country and refrigerated. all of those things. Yeah. So we basically just as a, you know, a starting point for us and what we like to talk about is eat as local as possible and that's like your you know your local produce and your local meat because we have we're surrounded by small farmers that are really really trying to do the right thing and like I said it's a new thing and not many people know about that alternative and to your point Stephanie huge majority of people are not going to be 100 vegetarian for any number of reasons there's a lot of reasons I mean people have a right to eat the way they want to eat for whatever reasons. I love the way you're framing it with
2: the local piece coming basically yeah. first because you you do hit so many of the important qualities by shopping local. I think starting with the local, yes. it's a good assumption. It's a good assumption that you're going to check a lot of the boxes along the way if that's the choice. Yeah,
1: you make. packaging, transportation. You can ask the grower, usually in a farmer's market. You can interface One-to-one with the person growing those things because that's usually a requirement of the farmer's market that the person growing it is present, or at least somebody that is associated with that operation. You can ask, tell us about your practices, and because you're curious, and farmers want people to be interested because most of the farmers and the growers that are at a farmer's market, they're there because it is a passion. They're not doing it to get rich quick (laughs) and they want to share. Yeah. You know, you often hear, you know, know, they've converted over to, you know, regenerative practices or, and a lot of them can't do organic because organic is an industry in itself. It involves a lot of expense and, and red tape and all that kind of thing. And some growers have gone literally beyond organic into even a more sustainable realm But the only platform for them to communicate what they're doing and this goes for produce meat eggs all this milk dairy uh, is just an interface with the public and platforms like this where you can say look for these people they're out there and it's really really yeah. great and we love eating this way you know we live out here in montgomery county and in, in a rural area we're surrounded by farms and granted this is a very special circumstance but our next door neighbor processes is chickens and, and lamb and i could literally walk over there for meat we should all be that lucky yeah i know that is not something that's accessible to most people and so don't you talk about wish cycling that is just That was so powerful. Yeah, so I think we've all been
2: guilty of wish cycling and wish cycling is just that when you have a hunch, you're not sure whether something is actually recyclable and you kind of hover with that plastic thing over the recycle bin and you make a decision to go ahead and put it in because what's the big deal? So that's wish cycling. Uh, Wish cycling is putting something in the bin that you're not sure belongs there. And the danger of wish cycling Is at its worst, it's a safety concern for the workers at the recycling facilities. Let me give you one example. A plastic bag. I, years ago, used to bag my recyclables in a grocery plastic bag. That is the number one cause of harm at the recycling facilities because these plastic bags are not recyclable at our any municipal recycling facility that I've ever talked to in the last few years. Why? Because, well, we can say what you can do with those bags, but what you can't do is put them in your residential recycling bin. They are thin plastic. And if you can imagine the sorting process at these facilities is a bunch of rollers, metal rollers. When the plastic bag accidentally ends up on the roller, it can get caught up in the roller, they have to stop the entire process, someone has to go in there and try to pull the plastic bag out, and sometimes with box cutters, go in and pull it out. So it's, at worst, it's a problem of safety for the workers. It can also be just a huge efficiency issue because they have to shut down these facilities every day for a few hours. Across the country, this happens many times. It's replicated many times a day. And the least harmful thing, but the not very nice idea, is that if you put your recyclables, as I used to do, into a plastic bag, that entire bin is not eligible to be put in with the recycling because they don't have time to take the contents out, very few of them have the sorting capacity and the personnel to be able to take it out. So that's an example of contamination. I'm using air quotes because contamination can come in all forms. That is is really harmful. That's the number one thing any of your listeners' recycling facilities would want you to know. I know because I've asked this question. What's the number one thing you want your residents to know? Don't bag your recyclables. But then there's a whole range of other issues. And the simple way to make sure you're not wish cycling is to just go Google recycling rules near me. As I said earlier, they want you to know what their rules are. They want to make it really easy for you. A lot of them produce posters online because they don't want you to get it wrong. It's expensive and inefficient if you get it wrong. So if you Google that, and then you take a look at what's in your recycle bin on a typical week, you can make sure that you're not recycling, that you're not contaminating the bin. And that's important because you want the stuff that is recyclable to be recycled. We know that metals is infinitely recyclable. Glass is is infinitely recyclable. It's not always recycled because there isn't always a market for it, but glass is technically infinitely recyclable and you save a huge amount of energy and carbon emissions as a result when you recycle metals and glass. Paper and cardboard is recyclable 8 to 10 times depending on the quality and a huge savings on paper, obviously forest, water, energy. And then plastic is the least of the recyclables, meaning when you put plastic in the recycle bin it's almost never actually recycled 9% of the plastic that ends up in the bin 9% of the plastic that we we generate the single use plastic gets downcycled meaning it gets recycled into something else of lesser quality still worth doing still worth putting what belongs of the plastic into the recycle bin but if we actually think that it's going to be regenerated into another plastic bottle, that's not always the case. And every time they recycle the plastic, it loses its integrity. And so plastic can be recycled two, three times maximum. And again, usually it's recycled into products of lesser quality. So it's important to know what you're actually doing. If you're aware of that coming back to the purge plastic point, then You wanna look at the contents of your recycle bin, look at what's plastic that's in there on a frequent basis and try to see if there are alternative packaging options to the plastic, knowing that plastic is harmful throughout its life cycle. It's, as I said, a contributor to climate change. And if you can find an alternative, you're doing a a very good service for all of us. That takes a little bit of effort, but it's not impossible. We don't ever get to zero plastic in our weekly recycle bin contents, but we have drastically reduced the amount of recycling and the amount of plastics that we put in the recycle bin because we've found alternatives.
0: Yeah. What are some of the main alternatives that you've found to really bring that down?
2: Yeah. So a few easy ones. I talked about the plastic water bottle We have good enough quality water supply in D.C. and we use a filter in our sink. So I only use tap water for my water. I don't buy any beverages that are in plastic. There's nothing that I've wanted to buy that has to be in plastic. We get our milk now from South Mountain Creamery, which is a pretty... Close by farm that delivers to a lot of neighborhoods in the DC area, milk in glass bottles that are returnable, like the old style milk delivery system. So that feels great. We don't even have the plastic line Tetra Pak that we used to have our milk and juices in. We just use the milk in the glass containers. Those are a couple. I'm not sure at what point in my life I thought that soap at the sink had to come in a plastic pump, but that's what happened. Somehow it creeped into our lives. Can't tell you what year it was, but it happened. And go back to bar soap, bar soap that's not wrapped in plastic. I actually buy goat's milk bar soap at our farmer's market, and I just use my own bag to put it in. So that's completely eliminated the plastic pumps. Shampoo, conditioner, that's another big one, and detergent. I have found finally some bulk stores, zero waste stores that have opened up in the last few years in my area that sell either soap in bars and conditioner in bars or detergent in refillable containers. I've eliminated all that plastic. No longer have the plastic produce bags at the grocery stores. I bring my own cotton reusable bags, really easy swap. And what I do is whether you drive to the grocery store or bike or walk, these days I think most of us bring our grocery bags, reusable grocery bags to the store. So you just stuff a bunch of these smaller cotton reusable bags into the grocery bags and then you always have them with you when you're shopping for produce. I won't buy produce anymore that is wrapped in plastic. I can't say everyone in my household abides by that. And if you read my book, you know my raspberry dilemma. I won't give that away but I talk about it in the book. I've come to live with raspberry clamshells and um I sort of figure if that's the worst thing in the recycle bin then I'm doing okay. So yeah, I think again if you start to pick one or two things in your life that you know you're getting all the time every few days in single use plastic and you eliminate it it becomes a bit of a game to eliminate the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and we're not 100% there but we're 80% there.
1: And that feels great. Yeah, And as you do it, you get more and more excited about it because it feels good. It does. It does
2: feel good. Yeah.
1: And the flip side of it is <laughs> people that are sharing your household, you know, like we won't mention names, but someone comes in and they've bought a something all wrapped in plastic and it's like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it feels bad. But anyway, this is all part of like communicating and telling your house mates that this is what we're going to try to do and if you'd like to be on board with this and let's talk about alternatives and usually it turns out very well you know you, yeah who's going to say no i want to use a lot of plastic you know it's just it's all about awareness and yeah. it's, it's all about it and speaking of awareness i want to flip something you you said a minute ago you said it, this is a really good statistic to know you said that it was like nine percent of all plastics, is that all plastics that are produced or all plastics that are recycled? All plastics that are produced, only 9% of them
2: end up getting recycled. And really, that doesn't mean recycled. It means downcycled. Downcycled.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, what's interesting about that is you flip that over, that's 91% that just end up as a gigantic, twice the size of Texas Island in the Pacific Ocean or just strewn all over creation, literally. So, that's 91% yeah. people. I think we're immune to that. It's just so staggering, you know, and like, You go out in the world, you go out to run errands and how many times a day do you encounter plastic use or have to turn it down? You know that when you decide you're going to turn down single use plastic, then that makes a point to you how often it's like in your face. You've said that beautifully. I may have to use some of your language. Yes.
2: I mean, once you've made that decision, it is a decision. And yeah. it, 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 again, I think we need to really get away from the hundred percent, not going to work we would, I would be miserable all day long if right. I was aiming for a hundred percent. I don't know what my fiance will bring home when he gets back from the grocery store today. Yeah. I'm getting married in May and I'm wondering if I should ask him if he would do a vow around <laughs> really trying hard not to do some of the conveniences. but having said that he's terrific. He gets it. He tries, he lets me know when he tries, and I think it's really important, whether it's your partner or whether it's your friends, to really celebrate, or maybe that's too strong a word, but to appreciate the efforts because it is not easy. And the private sector would have us believe, especially the fossil fuel-based companies, that this is our problem recycling mm-hmm. and the disposal yes. in general of the waste that they make us create in our lives it is not it is really difficult to get away from this so if you can get a big chunk of it out of your life bravo you know and that deserves every little piece of it deserves recognition because and i and just my philosophy and i take this from my old job leading climate change at a, a large international institution is, you lead with the negative, you lead with the pictures of the polar bears, you lose your audience right away. Yeah. So leading with the positive, leading with this is what you can do, this is why you don't have to feel paralyzed. Here are the actions that are meaningful, impactful, and you can do them today,
0: think is so much more powerful than the guilt trip completely yeah that makes so much sense Stephanie what does slow living mean to you (laughs) so
2: I know you two are all about slow living and so I thought about this a little bit because I realized you know I quit my job three years ago my hectic career and I thought this is it I'm gonna I don't think I phrased it as I'm going to slow living but i basically told myself i have an opportunity to slow down to detach from technology to be more in the moment for example with my son before he headed off to college i had great ambitions about my year off besides doing all the research i did around zero waste to really live more intentionally i would start meditating i would start doing yoga every day Okay. Well, here we are three years later, and I feel like I'm back at a hectic pace. So slow living for me is about, well, during the pandemic, it's really helped me. It's about long walks where I am conscious of not using my phone every second of the day, where I actually have my most creative moments when I detach from technology and even from conversation. And I have now learned to crave those moments, to appreciate those moments. It is so cold as you both know in DC today, but I will go for my 45 minute walk because I can't live without it now. So that's slow living. And I would also say for me, the totally unexpected aspect of the zero waste, or let me say lower waste lifestyle, of all the little moments of joy that have come with them, which I think I would put into the slow living category. When I take that compost bin out, you know, my, my kitchen compost container to the compost bin, I stop, I breathe, I appreciate what I'm doing and how good that feels. When I take the bulk bags with the lentils and the rice and the popcorn, and I pour them into my jars at home, I never had a jar collection at home, and now I've got this jar collection, which also my fiance he tolerates very nicely, I take such joy in pouring those contents into the jars. I've got a special open shelf for the jars and the community piece. Yesterday, Matt wanted his favorite shrimp dish. And so I called our local fish place and Bob answered the phone. And I didn't even have to say, can you please make sure not to put it in plastic? I'll be there with my own container to pick it up, the prepared shrimp. The joy that I know Bob in my community, that he knows me, that he knows my preferences, that also feels like a return to a, another time to be able to have those connections in the community, which I, I just didn't have before all this zero waste stuff.
0: I don't know what's wrong with me, but that shrimp story just made me tear up.
2: Oh, <laughs> so sweet. Oh, I
0: got off the phone and
2: I, I said to Matt, oh, that made me so happy just now. <laughs>
1: So funny! Thank you. I'm so glad you appreciated that too. <laughs> that's huge. That's just yeah. That's everything. I I love it. And you bring this up in your book too. The the unexpected. Aspect of community building that goes with this effort. Now, it's not like a straight line from A to B or something you would necessarily connect with that, yes. but somehow it happens. You know, I think part of it is because you're communicating openly with people. And I know I'll tell you this quick little story this hotel we stay in when we go visit my parents, there's a Starbucks there. And so you go there and get your coffee in the morning before you go over to the house. And I was talking to the lady, I said, please don't put the plastic top on, on the coffee. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. They make us do it. They won't let us not do it. It's a law that if This cup of coffee goes to you. It has to have this plastic top on it. And I said,
0: oh gosh, that's just so. I think that must be like a COVID sanitary thing or something.
1: Yeah. I told her, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I try not to use plastic because, and I just talked to her a little bit and we had this great conversation. And I've encountered that lady many times there. She's been there for years, but she and I never really talked. And all of a sudden we were talking because we talked about plastic and she was like, really? I didn't know those things. You know, I told her about the plastic island in the Pacific. She said, really? So, you know, you know, uh, you inform people and you make connections. So it's
2: it's so true. I love that. I love that story. And I also, I try to ask for, you know, topless when I do have to go for coffee or tea outside Topless. and sometimes they agree and sometimes they don't but I will tell you when I was writing this forward to the book I realized because I wanted to acknowledge the people I had been collaborating with even even loosely yeah. and I realized how many people whose names how many people I knew on a first name basis just in the couple of years that I'd been trying to go zero waste that I had maybe smiled at maybe recognized But I was now on a first name basis with a couple dozen people just from doing Mm. the zero waste stuff, because the bad side about how hard industry private sector makes it for us do this stuff is also the good side that you can't really do it without having conversations you have
0: to communicate about it yeah Yeah. explaining
2: why you need this so they don't look at you like you're crazy or when it's not bob at the fishery but the very first time i'm calling a new thai restaurant for takeout and i'm going to bring my own containers you know i better get the guy's name because if he agrees well if he agreed to it i'd need to follow up when i get to the restaurant and then He'll remember next time. Hopefully he'll answer yeah. the phone next time. So remember you're the crazy lady with yeah, the, the crazy, crazy, crazy lady, lady, to, that's lady. Need to have everything packaged differently. So it, but it's a really beautiful okay. flip
0: side to that is
1: you, you make new friends. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, sweet. So, true. so, so then what does the good dirt mean to you? And good dirt in it's just in the terms of the phrase.
2: Yeah. So if you'd asked me this three years ago, I would have said, you know, my friend Kath has some good dirt. I'm going to hear some really interesting stories from her. <laughs> stories. Yeah, right. I've, I've come a long way in the last three years, and uh, I'm not an expert on dirt, but I have a much more nuanced appreciation for it. I think there is something when I went from composting is not something I do because I don't garden to composting is something I'm going to hire this service to come pick up once a week. So I became a little more aware of soil quality and how important that was. And then when I started composting in my own backyard, as you said earlier in this conversation, there is something about, well, I don't even know how much I touch the soil, but, you know, turn the soil. There is something about that connection that feels good. And so I think, I love the question and I know you always ask this question about good dirt and just not an expert on dirt, but I feel like it's such a positive thing in my life now. And I definitely would not have said that as a sentence
0: three years ago. (laughs) So uh,
2: it's come a long way.
0: (laughs) You're like, I didn't know I would ever care about that. I appreciate (laughs) it more,
2: yes.
1: How many people say that the good dirt reminds them of like what you just said about your friend that has a a lot of good dirt, like almost like gossip? And I think that's so funny. And uh, I I love it when people say that. I wonder where that comes from. That phrase. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: that's interesting. the good dirt is
1: um, it's yeah. it's rich. You guys like should know gossip. that rich know. We with stories. Know that.
0: We should know where it came from, but I'm gonna look it up after this. I know. Yeah, it. it well, I think it hopefully speaks... it's not something bad. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I think, I think it speaks to the richness, like the stories, you know, how people mm. love stories and what's gossip if it's not stories about people, unfortunately, yeah. but, yeah. um, yeah. you know, it can be, you know, it's not a good thing, but a lot of stuff within yeah. something. So <laughs>
0: An ecosystem, yes. an entire we're, ecosystem. We're all going to look gossip. it up. You can put it in <laughs> yeah. the notes at the end. Yeah, of the yeah. Podcast. The entomology. Of yes. The good dirt
1: is as gossip. But
0: <laughs> is there anything else that you would like the audience to understand about zero waste in DC or your potential new name change or what the work that you're doing um, or anything else that you'd like to leave with us today? I I would just say for me I
2: as I hope it comes through. I am I am passionate about getting the word out about all the things I didn't know when I thought I was even leaving climate change too busy to know how important food waste was, for example, mm-hmm. as a, as part of the climate solution. I, I I spent the time to write the book because I wanted other people to know what I didn't know about how easy it is to feel empowered to do something about that eco-anxiety that we feel. It's so accessible. It is, uh, again, don't have to quit your job, don't have to become a climate activist, but there's all these, we just started talking about the joy, there are all these unexpected, wonderful things that come with adopting this kind of lifestyle. And when I say adopting, again, it doesn't mean people are not going to look at you and see you as a different person. You will just start to feel like you're having an impact and that, and that feels good. And I like to help people through organizations or individually to see how easy it is. You don't need to be an expert to adopt these actions in your life, but sometimes people need a little bit of a a nudge and they need a little bit of a role model to see if you guys are doing it, then we can do it too. And so I just like to get the word out to anyone who will listen about how easy it is.
0: And how can they find you and find your book? And where else can they find you?
2: So my website is zerowasteindc.com. My book is available, should be at any, your favorite bookstore, whether in person or retail. I mean, it's available through Amazon, but I, also, like to promote your independent local bookstores. My local bookstore, Politics and Prose, carries my book, so it's available anywhere. And uh, I am always thrilled to have online conversations with people about their ideas. I learn a lot just from hearing what other people are doing out. So please drop me a note. I love it.
0: Great! Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Stephanie, for taking your time with us today and. That was all really really interesting and informative and we just appreciate it so much. So yeah, can't wait to do it again sometime. Yeah, and you you live nearby, so hopefully we'll be able to meet you sometime really soon.
2: I would love that. I'd love the conversation with the two of you and I love what you do. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Dirt podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll share it with a friend to spread the good dirt. This show is
1: produced by Lady Farmer, a slow-living lifestyle community. And the original music is
0: composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at weareladyfarmer. That's farmer, Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.